y'all can have a seat if you'd like. Uh, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, we will be in Ephesians chapter 1 for the most part today. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to get up and grab one of those. Um, it is the end of December. We are headed towards January. We'll be doing some baptisms next week, and then we'll be back in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, where we will finish that thing up when we get there. Uh, I will pray for us, and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. God, we are not singing imaginary things when we say that you are the king. You are the king. You are ruling, and you are reigning. And you've also come into history, I pray, as we come on the tail end of Christmas, that we'd remember uh, that you were made like us in every way. You were tempted in every way but knew no sin. That you are a glorious Savior and you've saved us from ourselves and from our sin and from death and to life. So I hope you'd, pray you'd help us to live today. Holy Spirit, please be with us, lead us, and guide us. I just pray for whatever's just of me that it would just be forgotten. But Jesus, the things that glorify you and are of you and help us to love you more and see you clearer, God, that those things would just stand out in our minds. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, it's a weird time of year. Uh, me and Matt Canal, Matt Canal and I, uh, we, used to, we used to jog when we were first getting all the worship stuff set up for the church, and we'd jog around Green Lake on a weekly basis. Uh, all winter we were jogging and talking about guitars and whatever. Uh, and as we were driving around the lake, this f- odd phenomenon happened in January where all of a sudden the cold, dark lake got really crowded for about two weeks. Uh, all of a sudden there's all these joggers with new jogging gear, uh, and they're all running around the lake with us, and we, we're weirded out because it's early and it's cold, and then two weeks later they're all gone, and we just keep going about our business talking about guitars uh, and whatever. Uh, and I think the season uh, has this, um, there's like an anticipation of hope, there's sort of a feeling of, of, of reset uh, in the air that we, we can look to as we come to this sort of odd Sunday between Christmas and New Year's where we're uh, you know, if you're at work, it's hard to focus because you're coming off of Christmas, you're headed towards New Year's. Uh, a lot of us have days off, and it's kind of a weird pause, reflect time. Uh, and, and I think the thing is, is that, that when we do this, we often imagine who we want to be, the, the self, the, the version of ourself that we just wish we could be, the smarter, more well-read, uh, better jogging self. And we focus on that, and we think, if I could just be the guy who could get up at six in the morning and jog around Green Lake, then everything will be all right, and my life will be perfect and fine. Uh, unfortunately, in my life, uh, not only have I shot for some of those goals and fallen massively short and missed them and found emptiness there, I've also actually reached some of those goals, and unfortunately, Unfortunately, found emptiness there. Uh, and it's this Sunday where if you were to, to listen to the sermons around the world, and I love the brothers preaching, and I don't want to denigrate them, but it's the obligatory, I have to give you a sermon where I, I help you set right priorities and give you a sort of sanctified to-do list uh, so that you know the things that you must do this year to be whole. Now here's the problem with that. That's absolutely antithetical to the gospel. And just because it's New Year's doesn't mean we pretend that Jesus hasn't done it all. Uh, And yet we have this tendency to go that way, right? Because you've all picked out your Bible reading plan for the year. And you're like, I'm going to get past Genesis 15 this time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to Exodus. And I don't want to make you feel bad. I want you to get past. I want you to read Exodus. Exodus is cool, right? It's awesome. I promise, there's cool stuff in Exodus. Keep reading, keep reading. 
Um, but I, I don't want you to do that because you want to be better read. I want you to know who Jesus is. And I want that to be the fuel for why you're getting into it. And yet we find ourselves in this tension, right? Because this is the reality of the gospel. He's done it all. Jesus Christ entered into human history to save you from yourself while you were drowning. You were not in a boat saying, hey, I'm over here. You were drowning at the bottom of the ocean, and he came to get you. He came and died to save you. He came not only to save you, but to give you life. Right? It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. He busted into the prison that you made for yourself with your own sin and selfishness, and he busted into that prison to liberate you. This is Galatians 5.1. And the thing about getting out of prison, the point of getting out of prison is to live like you're not in prison anymore. Right? It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So if this is the gospel, if he's set me free, if he's done it all, if he's given me life, if he's given me the spirit, we come back to the classic anchor church question. If this is the gospel, then what the heck do I do with the rest of my life? It's a good question. Uh, Before we dig into Ephesians, we'll look at my favorite New Year's verse and kind of hopefully find the answer. Uh, If you want, you can go with me to Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 7, I'm in 3, pardon me. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He did it all. He did it all. That I may know Him. Not things about Him. Not, not some Bible verses, which I want you to have them all memorized. Write them on your heart. But I don't memorize Bible verses so that I can memorize Bible verses. It doesn't terminate on itself. I read my Bible because I want to hear the voice of God. That I may know Him personally. Jesus my Savior, my friend, the power of His resurrection may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He set His goal in mind. He is after Jesus no matter what, period. And then Paul says this thing that I think gives us hope, which I think is amazing. Verse 12. Memorize this one. Not that I have already obtained this or already am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. So it's not about me having a better me. It's about me living my life this year in pursuit of Jesus because Jesus came and got me when I was dead at the bottom of the ocean. That's why. I press on to make Christ Jesus my own first and foremost because he's made me his own. All right, what does that have to do with Ephesians 1? The goal is Jesus. Right? The goal is not just the better version of myself that actually read all of Moby Dick, not just part of it, or watched the movie. Right? Sean Connery throws stuff at... Well, not Sean Connery. That would be good, though. Uh, <laughs> the guy from Star Trek. <laughs> Captain Picard throwing things at whales, right? So that you think better of me. But in fact, we need to see that the goal in mind, the, the, the thing we're pursuing is Jesus. And, and it's not me giving you a sanctified to-do list. Uh, so you need to get a Bible reading plan, an alarm clock, and a quiet time, and a car so you can make sure to make it here on time. And these things, right? It's not me giving you things to do. It's us seeing Jesus for who he is and understanding when I see him for who he is, that's all I want. And the fuel for pursuing Jesus is not what I should do. 
Because that gets into religion and law. And I I have to do these things because I'm a Christian. That's what I should do. And the fuel for me pursuing Jesus is not, I'm a Christian and this is what I'm supposed to do. I guess I'm supposed to read my Bible and I'm supposed to get after Jesus. and I guess I'm supposed to love people or something. But I want for us to see here in Ephesians 1 that there is fuel for the friar for the pursuit of Jesus and that fuel is grace. That fuel for pursuing Jesus is not what I should do, but the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at four things. I want to see the power of grace, the display of grace, the message of grace, and the response to grace. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is one of those passages where I invite you when you're reading it on your own, read it nice and slow. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who has blessed us in Christ. You're blessed in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. What does it mean to be holy? You're clean. Every wrong thing you have ever done, if you are a Christian, you are washed clean from it all. And here's the deal. That wasn't your plan. That wasn't your goal in 2013. In 2013, I'm going to get holy. I'm going to get holy up in here, and it's going to be great. This was God's plan before the foundations of the earth to bless you with every blessing in the heavenly places and to make you holy so that you stand before God, who's all light and no dark, who's all good, who is love, that God clean. Unashamed before God. And how much of that was your plan? Well, Paul wants you to know how little of that plan was for you because he made this plan before the foundations of the earth, before you were born, before you did everything you were going to do, wiling out as a teenager against him, or wiling out last night against him, or wiling out wiling out after you got saved against him, all of those things he planned to deal with in the cross of his son before you were even born. That's blessing. Praise Jesus. Why is this important? This is the power of grace. This is the power of grace. This is a powerful gift. How powerful is it? Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite places. I'll try and preach the whole book if I can in the next half hour, but we'll see what we can do. Ephesians chapter 2. How powerful is this grace? How powerful is this plan that he set forth in Christ for you and you were dead in your trespasses and sins? What do you know about dead people? They don't do anything. That's what you know about dead people. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like who? Like everybody else. Like the rest of mankind. God did not pick you because you're a good bowler or because you're nice to people or anything. You and I are like everybody else. And so how do we treat everybody else? The same way we want to be treated, right? With the same love and tenderness that we wish someone... You, you know, you look at yourself and you're like, you know, I know I'm sitting next to that guy in high school who I know loves Jesus and I know he just... He's gonna, he knows I'm going to yell at him because I'm a jerk and I'm a high schooler and I hate Jesus. And why didn't he just tell me, though? 
I needed to be rescued so bad and so desperately, and I was dead and I needed life. I mean, some of you come off of Christmas just like me, spending time with people who need life. They need life, and, and you have the answer. You have the thing they need. You have the truth of who Jesus is, and He's given you life. Because remember what I said? He's washed you clean. He's made you holy. He's made you His own. Verse 4. Things were bad, but, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to save yourself. You were not in the boat, and you don't have a good grip, and you're not a good swimmer. He did it all. By grace you've been saved, and raised, and has, and raised us up with him, and seated us with the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Have you ever sat next to Jesus in heaven? No. I mean, maybe if you have, I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> Paul was at like the, what is it? Where's Paul? The seventh heaven or whatever? Like, no, it's the third, third whatever. Like, I'm, I'll, I'll stop everyone from singing right there. <laughs> but, but here's the point. He's saying it. He's saying you're seated. He's saying you're seated next to Christ forever because of his cross. And your seat next to God at the party that's coming at the end of time is as good as yours. He doesn't say, hey, if you make sure that you behave really well and get checked off for who's naughty and who's nice here. If you're in Christ, that seat belongs to you. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. A gift of God. You're welcome. It is a gift. Not as a result, let's be clear, Paul's going to be clear with us, just so we're clear. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Another way to translate this word would be poetry. So depending if you're into building things with wood and nails or into poetry. I like poetry. But I'm also wearing a sweater. So life goes on. <laughs> Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So he's made us to do something. He's made us to pursue him. He's made us to get after him. He's made us to love people. He's made us to serve him. But we don't do it so that he will love us. We do it because he has loved us. So yeah, we want to be loving and kind and gracious and merciful. We want to help people who can't help themselves. I can't help myself. The reason why I want to help people... Uh, who can't help themselves in all kinds of ways because I know that I couldn't help myself and Jesus came and saved me from myself and because he loved me first then I can love other people. That changes what I'm after in 2014, by the way. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the power of grace. Uh, in love... He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of His will. So the plan that He had before the foundations of the earth was to include you into His family. Some of us have awesome families. Some of us have not so awesome families. Whether you have an awesome family or not so awesome family, God's plan was to include you in His really, 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 really awesome family. I can't tell you how many people that I've walked with 
who just said, if my dad or if my mom would just say, I'm sorry. They would just say, I was wrong there. That was my fault. Please forgive me. It would change everything. And then sometimes you meet those folks and they've got these parents and they raise them in the gospel and they share in Jesus with them and everybody in the family is a Christian. We have some of those families here and it's beautiful and it's awesome. And if you've got a young family, find one of those families that's raised kids in the gospel and get time with them, by the way. That's advice, so you don't have to do it. But it would behoove you. And you can use the behoove next time you play Scrabble. <laughs> but honestly, the, the best the best, godliest dad and the worst, most horrible dad put on the scale with our Heavenly Father all pale in comparison. And this is the family that we've been invited into. And this is your dad. He's not a bad dad. He's a good dad. And some of us have a hard time even having a framework for what a good dad is. But through Jesus, we have the greatest dad who there ever was. And that's God. And that's God. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What is the purpose of his will? To the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. Capital B, that's Jesus. This is a, this is a blessing to you. This is a gift to you. God didn't save you uh, so that, that he could be your taskmaster and you could make a to-do list all the time and you're keeping up with, man, am I doing this good enough? Am I trying this hard enough? Am I succeeding here enough? Is God happy with me? If I can only do more, uh, what is a Christian man supposed to do? What is a Christian lady supposed to do? What are we doing? Am I, am I keeping up with the Joneses? Am I doing this thing right? He's not keeping score in the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. He's giving you life. He's not a taskmaster. He's a good dad. In fact, he saved you for joy. He saved you the praise of his glorious name. We praise all kinds of things. We find joy in all kinds of things, and they run short. Like I was saying, I usually miss the goal. Whatever goal I make in a couple days to get there, I usually miss it. It's New Year's. But when I get them, when you finally get your hands around that thing that you're always chasing, and if I can only have it, if I could only get there, if I could only have a house, if I could only uh, have this degree, if I could only have this job, you get there and you're like, why is it so empty? Because you're trying to get something out of it it can't give you. God gave you stuff to enjoy, but not to be ultimate joy. You, you're supposed to find your ultimate joy in him, and he's given you him. He's given you himself. He's given you everything. God's eternal. That's eternal joy if you're enjoying Jesus to the praise of his glorious name. And even the other stuff we have is meant to kind of ride on up to that. Because we understand who made it all. Right? It's a great exercise. Christmas is over. You save it for next year. Great exercise with your kids. Hey, this thing that you got this year, you realize that's a gift, not just from me, but from Jesus Christ. And this is cool. But you're supposed to use this remote control car in all its coolness and running over all kinds of cool stuff so you can look at that and say, man, God, you're cool. You're gracious. You're wonderful. I don't do it like that when I'm talking to my children, by the way. Uh, but we put it on like five, not number. We're always running on 11, but to a five-year-old. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. You're forgiven. Not just yesterday, not just the day before that, not just the day you got saved, but you're forgiven. You're a forgiven people. You're bought by his blood. 
He took care of it all. You're redeemed. You're different than you once were. You're his now. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. This is a display of grace. Okay, so, so you need to see this. So one of the things God is doing through his church, and that's you, if you're a Christian, and if you're not, today is the day. This is what you're invited into. We're quick to think about what, what can I do for God? You know? What can, I, what can I start doing with my life to make God happy? Or even, even because he's, he's blessed me, I want to I I bless others. And that's great and that's wonderful. But you need to understand one of the first things that happens is that you are a conduit. You are a display. You are a picture frame where God is showing the universe his grace. Before you do anything, right? When you're sitting there saved, crying, because you realize you're a jerk and how wonderful God is, and you're in your parents' living room reading the Bible for the first time, seeing how good and gracious he is, you can do nothing in that moment. And what he's showing through that? His grace. He's lavishing his grace upon you. It is a conduit to show the world his glory and his beauty and his character in you. Be clear. He's he's showing off with your life. He's flexing his glory with your life. Because he showed you grace yesterday. He's showing you grace today. He's going to show you grace tomorrow. I think a couple weeks ago we talked about you have been saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. He's showing the world through you how loving and gracious and kind and wonderful he is by lavishing his grace and lavishing his love and lavishing his mercy on you. And it's not just because you're awesome. It's because he's awesome. He's showing off. And it sucks when anybody else shows off, but when God shows off, it's a good thing. And you're one of the ways he's showing off. Verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and things in earth. Human beings broke a wonderful thing that God made. He made it good. We broke it. He promised to fix it. He came to fix it. He's ultimately going to fix it. This is the purpose and the plan of God to take what his creatures made and broke and do wonderful, beautiful, glorious things with it. And you're on that trajectory. You're part of the deal. right? You're part of what he's doing in that. This is his plan. And if you're a Christian, you're a part of it. You're an ambassador of the good news of Jesus. You have the news. And it's not a plan, and it's not a scheme, and it's not a strategy. It's not how you can meditate your way to heaven. It's not I have this really good book that's going to get you to Jesus, unless it's the Bible. It's not the war plan, as some have said. It's not the war plan where you lay out, okay, here's the barrier, and you meditate here, and you do this other thing here, and we can get over the thing, and then we'll get there. It's the good news that Jesus crushed it all. The good news is Jesus has come. The good news is that Jesus has done it. And this is the plan 
that he's making known the mystery. Whenever you see the word mystery, what this word means in this case is something that was tucked away that gets taken out and showed off. The mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time, at the right time, in the right place, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. He's putting everything back the way it is supposed to be. He will wipe every tear from every eye, and you and I will sit in that seat that does have our name on it, that is waiting for us in heaven, with him in the new heavens and the new earth forever. He's putting it all back. That's the message we bring. It's the message of grace. 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That inheritance, first and foremost, is Jesus. The greatest gift of the gospel is Jesus. What you get in the gospel is Jesus. What you have right now and forever is Jesus, if you're a Christian. I always go back to the, the picture that he gives us on the cross. The curtain in the Holy of Holies, the special place where only the high priest gets to go, the curtain, the place where people go to meet with God, where they send one guy in to meet with God a year. Everything changes at the cross. That curtain is torn in two, representing that you and I in Christ have full and unfettered access to Jesus. All the time. Right now and tomorrow. And you don't need me or somebody else to get you there. You don't need a mediator because you have a mediator. His name is Jesus. You as a Christian have full access to God. Amazing. In him we obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who, put, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I really appreciate Paul that just tacks this one on here. So you get to live enjoying God forever. He saved you from yourself. He gives you everything, namely and primarily himself. Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit has come to take up residence. God himself and the person of the Holy Spirit has come to take up residence inside of you if you're a Christian. God lives inside of you if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit has done that and you're sealed and that's how you know you're going to make it home. It's your passport. It's your seal. It's your ticket. So you know you're going home because you know you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You know you've experienced Jesus in your personal life. You know that you know the sound of His voice. You know who He is and you know who He is through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. That's your ticket. You know it's good as gold. You know you have the seat because you have the Spirit. You're sealed. You're His. Not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principalities can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And what a seal He gives you for that. Spirit. And I also, I mean, this is, I just ripped this off from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so, by the way, if you're going to rip somebody off, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a good way to go. And if you're like, what are, I don't even know what you're talking about, go get into it. Read Life Together. It's amazing. Anyways, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together says uh, this thing that when he's, you know, when you're reading, a, maybe it's just me because I'm a nerd, but you're reading a book and you read a statement in a book that brings crystal clarity to some biblical truth that just like sears you. You, know, you remember sitting you almost have to like throw the book down and be like, I'll see you later, Dietrich. <laughs> Dieter, you and me, we can read later. But something Dieter did say. It's the abbreviation for Dietrich. The thing that Dieter said, 
was that we have a God of truth and not feeling. And he didn't mean that we shouldn't be emotive towards God. But he meant that when you have a day that you don't feel, you not feel saved, this is me out in the cold, a day where you're like, am I even a Christian? Am I doing what you want me to? I can't, where are you? That we have a God of truth and not feeling that you're sealed, you're his, and even, it's not how good you feel about where you're at on the uh, scorecard with God uh, that makes you a Christian. It's the cross of Jesus Christ that makes you a Christian and you have that seal. Believe it and live in it because that'll make you more inclined when you start checking it off. You're like, okay, um, well, I read my Bible today, check. Read your Bible, please, it's so good. But read, read my Bible today, check. Uh, walked on a lady across the street, check. Uh, oh, do that other thing. Oh, yeah, another thing. Check. Oh, I'm a horrible Christian. I gotta work harder at being a better Christian so that I have more checks on the good side than on the bad side. That will really fix things. That becomes our mode, right? And sometimes we feel like, and if I'm doing that, if I'm living there, then I must, what, I'm not sure where I'm at with him. Now, I'm not saying keep doing the stuff that's on the other side. I'm just saying that that's not what makes you a Christian. The check on one side or the other is not make what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is Jesus Christ. And you know you're a Christian because you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's not about truth. It's about, or it's not about feeling. It's about truth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, to enjoy him, with everything we've got to the praise of his glory. Three things are happening in this text. There's that one we talked about, the passive. We, we receive and are just a display of his grace. He's showing off. He's flexing. He loves you, not because you're lovely, but because he's wonderful. He's not keeping score. He, he saved you because you're worth, you know, he didn't save you because like, oh man, that guy's really worth saving. He saved you because he saves broken things. <laughs> what he does right we just receive it but in addition to that because he's done so much for us then we respond by praising his glorious name by enjoying him by glorifying him to glorify him means to point to his excellency and his beauty and how wonderful he is and with our whole lives and everything we do we make it our aim to point to him because he's worth pointing to and we point to him, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it one more time because it's a good story. Um, uh, we point to him in everything we do. I was sitting at Indian Food in Fremont with a guy named Brent Rood, who's a pastor in a church locally, and he prayed for our food. He'd never, he's from the South, and he'd never seen Indian food before in his whole life. Yes, they don't have it there. So he's sitting there at the buffet, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to do a date here. I'm going to bring my wife here. This is amazing. And he's just smelling the food. And it's all you can eat. And he's just smelling and enjoying. And he, he volunteers. Can I pray for this food? And he stops over the food and he goes, Dear Jesus, thank you, good Lord, for bringing these people here. Thank you for including them in this city that they might bring this. And he just like starts praising the excellencies of God and his complete sovereignty for moving this family here to Seattle to make the Indian food so that he can enjoy it. And all the flavors and the notes and the smells. And he is about getting up out of his seat, enjoying the food before he even touches it. And by the time he gets to eating it, he is practically hopping up out of his seat, enjoying the Indian food. And what he's doing the whole time is praising Jesus. Because in that moment, he knew 
But man, when was the last time you heated up a hot pocket and did that? Right? <laughs> when was the last time you sat at dinner and said, oh man, Lord, you made sunshine down on these lovely asparagus, whatever's your poison. Um, you made the grass grow so the beef could eat it. Thank you, Lord. And you stopped and looked at his finger on your plate. Right? This is the, the praise of his glorious name. So we praise him for his character, but we praise him where he's at work because he's at work in a thousand places. He's at work in your life in a thousand places. And because of the white noise of our society, we often miss all the ways that he's moving in our lives every single moment of every single day. Because it's easy for any of us to get up and go to bed and do it again and do it again and not even think about Jesus. That's not what you're built for. You're built for joy. Because how's that thing working out for you? That's not the fulfillment that, that he purchased for you on the cross. And that's not the, that's not the purchase you feel, you know, I sit on my shoulders and nag at you about it. But I'm just telling you, we have access to so much more than we drink in. It's, all, it's yours. It's already yours. Uh, but in, that, in addition to that, so there's the, the passive, we just receive it. There's the active, the praise of his glorious name. And then there's just the reality that as we see here, as we're part of his purpose and his plan, he's poured his love out on us so that it would overflow onto others. So that we would share the good news of his gospel. That we'd love and we'd serve. Uh, 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 that we'd love God and we'd love others. That is the gospel message. right? The greatest commandment. And that's not just telling the gospel. It is telling the gospel. And first and foremost, that's our job. But it's loving and serving the people. Looking around the city. And friends, there's brokenness in this city. Looking around the city and saying, what do these people need and how can I serve them? Because there's a lot of it. You don't have to go further than right here the Boys and Girls Club to look around and see people who need help, right? We carry the message of the gospel. We love and we serve, but we do it because he's loved us and served us, and we do it in response. Ultimately, when we see the, 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 the lavishness of the grace of God, there's really three ways that we can respond to this. There's, and I, I, was, I don't know what was my mood when I did this, but there's three R's here. So I, I thought about changing one to not be an R, because then there wouldn't be three R's, but three R's. Here we go. Um, response, religion, and rebellion. We can look at the lavish grace of God and we can uh, codify it. We can try and get mechanistic with it and we can turn it into religion. And we use that word pejoratively because the Bible tends to. There's one spot where it's not as pejorative as others, but by and large, uh, the the religious outlook is pejorative in the scriptures. And, And religion is essentially, I do these things to get to God. I do these things so God will love me. So we look at all the things he's graced you with. He's graced you with his word to read it. He's graced you with song to sing it. He's graced you with the church to do life with. But then you turn it into, well, I have to go to community group because I'm a Christian, and I guess we're supposed to stand up and sing because we're Christians, and I guess I show up sometimes because I'm a Christian, and I guess I do this thing because I'm a Christian. That's what I'm supposed to do, and I'm just going to fake it till I make it, and hopefully it'll feel good. Ever done that? Empty. He doesn't need your attendance, right? This is a gift. The people you're sitting around are a gift. Singing songs to Jesus are a gift. His holy word, it is the voice of God. It's a gift. It's a gift. Don't treat it like something it's not, because then you're getting religious. You're doing something with it that he never built it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Absolutely says that. There's things he's actually laid out for us to do, as a good parent does. Don't run in the street. It will be bad for you. Don't do that. 
He might as well have said, not, I always want to be careful as I remix, right? This is, I think another way it could be said is if you, if you love me, you'll trust me. If, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll trust that the things that I tell you to do are things that are good for you. You'll believe me because I'm a good, I'm a good savior. <laughs> Not one of our horrible counterfeit saviors because those never turn out very well. So we don't get religion, but we can. We can look at this grace and we can codify it and we can try and make a to-do list, right? You try and bust it down. You're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? What, what do I have to do tomorrow now? What's my homework? Be free. That's your homework. Um, the other thing was we can just straight rebel. We can look at the grace of God. Uh, we can look at some of the things he calls us to do in the midst of his grace, and we just while out and we do something else. No, thank you. I'll do something else. There's probably something more fun. There's probably something else I could do with my life, and we just miss it. Or we even push against it, which in a sense religion sort of is. But we look at the good news of Jesus, and we look at his gospel, and we, we either take it and run with it, and we make the list. You're like, so, so you mean he forgives me for all my sins? I'm clean and good to go. I can do whatever I want to do. So you mean if, if he paid the price for all my sins, then there's nothing stopping me from sinning? Is that what you're, Are you telling me? Because this is the reality, right? I, I say this so often because, honestly, I need the reminder, and I think so do you. He didn't save you and then pay for all the sins you committed before you met him. He saved you knowing all the sins you would commit against him, and he saved you anyhow for his glory and your joy. That's hard for us. We're, we're easy with, oh yeah, he saved me from all that wiling out. He saved me from high school, yeah, or early 20s, or 65 years, wherever you're at, you know what I mean? Like, it's more than high school for me, I tell you what. But it, it's the reality he's saving you every day, Right? That, that it's not just high school's on his tab and your parenting is on yours. He paid the price for all of it. So sometimes we can take it and be like, cool, if he paid the price for all of it, I'm gonna, I guess I have a blank check to do whatever I want. And that's, that's rebelling. And that's missing the fact that you're actually saved for joy and life and freedom. But what I think we're invited into is Repentance. Our third R. We take the things that we're following that aren't of him, and we see how good he is, and we turn from the things, and we turn to him. Sometimes if we're not careful with our theological shorthand, when we say repentance, we mean stop doing bad stuff, but we miss that that word repentance has a turn from it. So we turn from our hollow, vacuous, self-serving religion, I'm doing these things so God will love me. We turn from our wiling out and we turn from all those things and we turn to greater joy and we turn to Jesus in all his glory. And it's not just turning from our sin, which part of it is, but it's that response that this, if this is the grace of God, then I'm turning to life. I'm turning from death to life, from sin to Jesus. I'm turning from love of self to the love of God. And it's actual turning. Because honestly, if all you're doing is turning from bad stuff, you just find more bad stuff to turn to. You know what I mean? If it's, oh, I'm going to stop doing X, Y, or D addiction, then you're just the guy who tells everybody how awesome you are because you don't do that thing anymore. This is religion. It's empty. It's vacuous. It's turning to Jesus. And if you don't know him, this is the deal. He came to history to save you from yourself, to give you life, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. That's different than any other world system, I tell you what. He came to save you from yourself. And this year, as we look at all the different things that you want to change about yourself, I think the first and foremost thing we need to examine is, 
man, am I after that guy? Is that what I'm after in my life, is Jesus? Am I after sort of sanctified, fake Jesus-y stuff? It sounds like I'm after Jesus, but I'm really after something else. Taking a look and realizing, man, there's just joy there. So, I mean, we pursue him by worshiping. We're going to get up and we're going to sing. We're going to get up and we're going to take communion, remembering every grace he's done for us. And, and we go out into our life with joy because his grace is overflowing. King Jesus, I do pray for us, Lord. I pray we'd see you for who you are. We'd see the power of your grace at work in our lives. We would respond to that grace with joy. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You have prepared the good works that you've made for us. You've prepared us for us to love Seattle, to love our friends, to love our church, to love our families. You've prepared those things beforehand. We don't do them to earn your love. We do them because you're wonderful. And I pray we just find joy in doing them because the good works you prepared for us are so enjoyable. Jesus, save us from ourselves and from our own agendas and get us on your plan, on your program and see the trajectory you have us on in your ways. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ, amen.